Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. The Buzz this week, the Pima County Sheriff's Office. We talked with Sheriff Mark Napier about the department's work on the border and its relationship with the federal agencies who patrol there. Pima County shares about 125 miles of border with Mexico. That's the longest stretch of any county in Arizona. That means the Pima County Sheriff's Office must deal with border issues. But what does it mean for local deputies who are not sworn border officers? Pima County Sheriff Mark Napier must grapple with that issue every day. I asked Sheriff Napier to explain Operation Stone Garden, a federal grant program that's bringing controversy to his office. Well, Operation Stone Garden is a federal grant program specifically tailored toward border counties and places that in, have, are impacted by uh, the lack of security on our southern border. Our county has, for more than 12 years, readily accepted Operation Stone Garden funding. Of course, a lot has changed. and The voice out of Washington, D.C. has changed. Um, there are a lot of heated emotions around immigration issues. Operation Stone Garden is not an immigration program, as it is realized in Pima County. I do not support my department being proactively involved in federal immigration. I want to be clear on that. That's not our role. It's not our responsibility. But Operation Stone Garden funding provides me overtime funding to deploy my deputies into areas that are traditionally underserved by the Sheriff's Department because we have 9,200 square miles to patrol. And I cannot get my deputies to the most rural areas, which are also the most vulnerable for human and drug trafficking and other transnational crime threats. So Operation Stone Garden allows me a lot of money to deploy resources into areas that are vulnerable. Moreover, it provides me money for equipment, which otherwise the taxpayers would have to buy. How does that money put deputies close to the border or into rural areas that are underserved? Well, because that money directly funds overtime. So I can deploy deputies on an overtime basis that does not impact uh, the general fund of Pima County into those areas that I otherwise could not because I simply don't have the resources. I have about roughly 500 sworn officers, that's badge and gun type people, to patrol 9,200 square miles. So are those deputies, when they're on Stone Garden duty, responding to calls, be it 911 calls or regular dispatch calls, or are they handled differently? They're kind of handled differently. Well, we're, we cooperate with our federal partners, Border Patrol and, and other federal partners, to determine where we can best deploy those resources. Now, sometimes what people don't understand is that sometimes our resources are deployed in area because we know it's a drug trafficking corridor. And if we block that area with my resources, it channels those drug traffickers into areas where they're more vulnerable to interdiction by Border Patrol, INS, or they go through the ports of entry where we have a higher probability of intercepting both drug and human traffickers. So sometimes a deputy might be out in a desert area, might be out there for many, many hours and really not see anything. Well, that doesn't mean we were unsuccessful. It meant that we were channeling that activity into other areas where we could better interdict it. If there's a rancher out there or something and he calls 911 for a non-border related issue, that deputy wouldn't respond or would respond? Um, it would depend on the nature of the incident. If it were a, a life and death emergency type incident, absolutely they would break off. They would go off of the Stone Garden clock and onto the regular Pima County clock. So, or for example, if we had an officer or a deputy involved shooting, all bets are canceled. We go take care of the highest priority for the county. But these areas are traditionally not areas that we're in very often because of simply the remoteness and the lack of population out there. People don't realize how remote some of the areas of our county uh, happen to be. Some areas I can only get to by air, and that's really the best way for me to see those areas from our aircraft. 
We've had some controversy, for lack of a better term, with this latest round of Stone Garden funding with the Pima County Board of Supervisors. What are their their concerns about using the money? It sounds like you're all for it. Send the money. I think their concerns, and I'm not dismissive of them, but I think they're misplaced, is that this is somehow an encroachment of the Sheriff's Department into what is a federal responsibility, which is immigration enforcement. I have been as clear as I can be, and I get beat up on the right a lot about this. I am a Republican sheriff, that this is not my responsibility. It's not what I'm interested in. Uh, It is a federal responsibility. And they see this as, I I believe it to be a backlash against some of the rhetoric and some of the policies coming out of Washington, D.C. Right before coming down here, I was on a conference call with Secretary Nielsen, who's Secretary of Homeland Security, and I again made this point. And they've actually asked me to send talking points back to the Secretary we need to bifurcate, separate the issue of illegal immigration or immigration from transnational crime. They are not the same thing, and we shouldn't approach them in the same manner. I'm interested in what impacts public safety in Pima County. Sometimes there's a crossover between immigration issues and crime issues that impact safety in our county. But I was elected by the people of this county, all the people of this county, to uphold public safety. And that's not a partisan issue. It's not a Republican or Democrat issue. It's a quality of life issue. It's a human condition issue. And that's how I approach my job. I'm apolitical. I'm not a partisan guy. I'm a practitioner. I've been doing this for a very long time. I started in 1981. I have a graduate degree from Boston University in criminal justice. I teach for that institution. So I'm kind of an anomaly. I'm a Republican sheriff with a very progressive education. So I understand both sides of these issues. And uh, honestly, I'm at the twilight of my career. And this will sound trite, and people may gag when they hear me say this, but I just want to go out in public service the way that I want to, and that's being true to what I believe in, true to my character. I told my family I'm willing to lose an election. I'm not willing to lose me. Do you worry about burnout with the deputies? We all work more than 40 hours from time to time, some of us more often than than not. And, you know, the, the start of the next week, uh, you're a little crispy. Oh, of course. I, I, I'm concerned about that. I mean, um, I certainly work well beyond 40 hours a week and a not a kid anymore. So I do worry about that. But what I want the sergeants and the supervisors to do is to monitor that. And they should not be allowing deputies to work 80 hours a week, 40 on their regular and 40 on stone guard. That's ridiculous. Nobody should be able to do that. So we expect our supervisors to monitor that and keep it in check and make sure that our people are able to be deployed and be effective at what they do. When the deputies are on a stone garden assignment, how do they communicate with federal partners, the Border Patrol, um, and at the same time with the dispatch center for the sheriff's office? A lot of it is face-to-face communication. They'll interact with their uh, federal partners out in the operational area and try to determine what the operational priorities are for that day. Often we have intel that, you know, uh, drug smugglers may be coming up or human smugglers, and they may position our people as a way to dissuade them from going through this certain corridor to channel them over to some place that they can be better interdicted. So there's a lot of face-to-face communication. I have an excellent working relationship with Chief Karish, who's the chief of the Tucson Sector of Border Patrol. He and I have a very professionally appropriate relationship, and if I have concerns, I know I can always go to him and, and have those things uh, addressed promptly. We're speaking with Pima County Sheriff Mark Napier. When it comes to working immigration, drug smuggling, human smuggling, all of those things, we often hear uh, criticism of racial profiling. Your department recently wrote a policy on that. How did that come into being? Well, that is a great question, and I think it's part of the success story of what we're doing here in Pima County is 
one of the things that came up out of this Operation Stone Garden concern was the fact that my department did not have a racial profiling policy. It was on my radar screen as something to fix anyway. But what this did was prompted us to do that, and that's a good thing. And not only that, uh, tomorrow afternoon I'll be meeting with uh, an attorney from the ACLU. Now, that's an unusual thing for a Republican sheriff to do. But I found that my interaction with him has made our policy better. And we have gone through probably three or four different iterations of this policy. We'll, we'll, we'll publish it, and he'll go, you know, if you just did a little bit more here. And I'll say, well, I can't do A, but if I did B, would that be good? He'd go, well, that would be good. So we've worked very collaboratively on establishing a better policy. And I think that has been a positive outcome of all of this. So what's in the policy so that the public can understand? A very specific prohibition against profiling people because they don't speak English as their primary language. I know there's a lot of concern about that. Not using a single determinant factor to decide whether or not we should contact Border Patrol because we're suspicious that somebody's in this country without proper documentation. The fact that your skin is a certain color or or English is not your primary language, any of those things are not in and of themselves a reason to call Border Patrol. However, if you see somebody coming out of the desert with carpet tied to their feet, carrying two black water jugs and a backpack, I expect my deputies to stop that person. I do. That would be something that we want to investigate further. What is surprising, and most people will find this difficult to believe, the majority and I mean the vast majority, more than 70% of the time my department contacts Border Patrol because there's an undocumented uh, person in this country. It's at the bequest of the undocumented person who's lost in the desert, has been abandoned by the coyotes, has been seen by a rancher in distress, and we go out and make rescues all the time with our federal partners, Borstar, which is the Border Patrol's search and rescue folks, go out there. My helicopter goes out there and rescues people all the time. And the real tragedy, and what I'm trying to get the Trump administration to understand is this is human rights tragedy, and the president needs to speak on that issue. My deputies recover about 200 bodies a year in the deserts of our county. Now, my Republican counterparts would say, well, that's just too bad. They shouldn't have been here. Okay, well, that's not a very Christian way to approach it, but okay, fair enough. But people in El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Mexico are facing um, desperate situations that we in this country can neither imagine nor appreciate. And they make desperate decisions about how to provide for their family. And I've talked to groups and I've said, if your family were desperate, your family were impoverished, if your family were in peril, what would you do? And most people would say, I'd do anything I could. I said, would you walk 60 miles across the desert? So on the other side of the political spectrum where the Democrats would say it is somehow compassionate public policy to have a porous border and to not have us out there, I would say it is anything but a compassionate public policy to tacitly encourage this very, very dangerous behavior. You mentioned you were on a conference call with the Homeland Security Secretary. You were in Washington, D.C. very recently. You've been known to say with regard to Stone Garden and other things, if you're not at the table, you're on the plate. Were both of these opportunities for you to be at the table, and do you feel like you're being listened to at the table? We are definitely at the table, and I would say we're close to the head of the table. Pima County of the 31 border counties in the United States about the Mexican-U.S. border is the largest uh, border county. So for us to not be at the table is really an abdication of our responsibility to to control this dialogue. Evidence of the fact that we're being listened to was the fact that the Secretary of Homeland Security this afternoon, right before I came to this taping, uh, met with a um, by a conference call with a select group of about six sheriffs from uh, across the western United States. She set aside 30 minutes of her time to listen specifically. She gave us a high-level briefing on what's going on in Washington, D.C., and then 
to each sheriff, she listened to exactly what's going on in our counties and what exactly our concerns are. My concerns to have been very clear to her messaging. I, in a polite sense, I want the president to quit talking about illegal immigration, quit talking about a wall to keep the Mexicans out. I'm, that's it's not a winning strategy, and it's not what we should be talking about. We need additional rail of funding for border counties because we absorb prosecutorial costs, incarceration costs that are borne by the taxpayers of my county that the federal government needs to reimburse us for. And then finally, to really look at um, what we're doing as a matter of policy and listen to the experts on the ground. I've been here for 31 years. Um, this is my home. I think I have a good perspective on what we need to be doing down here much better than maybe Washington, D.C. does. Is your message different with the five other border sheriffs who were on that call, or are you all giving a similar message? I think we're similar. I think that uh, maybe, God, and the Republicans will hate that I say this, but my message may be a little more progressive than some of my counterparts. But I think in the state, the primary border sheriffs are Sheriff Daniels over in Cochise County, Sheriff Wilmot out in Yuma County, and myself. We are very cohesive in our messaging, and I think that's a blessing to the people of the state that we have very uh, cohesive group of 15 sheriffs in our state. We all get along. We all communicate. Um, that's not always been the case because we had an outlier, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, in Maricopa County uh, recently that didn't get along very well, and um, now we all get along, and we're all speaking a very similar voice in the state of Arizona. You say you're being listened to by the powers in D.C. Are you seeing that in policy changes or the ground game, so to speak, or is it too early to tell, or are they listening but there's just no action? Washington moves slowly, um, so I think we need to be a little bit patient. I have uh, tried desperately to get in to see the president. I was across, uh, I was in the Eisenhower building across from the West Lawn. Uh, I really would like to get his ear for just a few seconds um, and to be able to express from the standpoint of our county what is important down here, and that is the impact of the opiate crisis. The other thing we're not talking about is methamphetamine increase in that. Uh, it's not being talked about nearly enough, and, and the transnational crime threats, and then the human rights issue. I think if the president would speak on those issues, uh, we could maybe detract a little emotion and ideology from this discussion. We keep talking about what constitutes a wall. I could care less um, in getting into the semantics of what constitutes a wall. It's a stupid argument. Um, secure the border with a bunch of angry monkeys for all I care. Um, I want the border to be secured for very cogent, responsible, and rational reasons. And building a big, beautiful wall that Mexico is going to pay for is a very interesting tweet, very interesting soundbite. It is uh, absurd as a matter of public policy. We have 125-mile linear exposure to the international border in Pima County. A lot of that is very mountainous. It's very remote. Uh, about 70 miles of that is Tono Autumn in uh, Native American Reservation, which is a sovereign nation. I don't think they're going to allow a wall to be built across there. Um, so we need to have more thoughtful dialogue on this. If the president, and I have begged, <laughs> begged Washington, D.C., to get the president to say these words, a wall is an analogous term. It could mean human resources. It could mean technology. It could mean physical barriers. It could mean a blend of all of those things. But we are committed in this country to securing our border for very responsible and reasonable reasons that not only benefit our country, but inevitably would benefit the Mexican people as well, and then fix the immigration system. After the break, we talk more with Pima County Sheriff Mark Napier about the department's relationship with border officers, including in the jail.
Welcome back to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're exploring the relationship between the Pima County Sheriff's Office and the federal government. We continue our discussion with Pima County Sheriff Mark Napier. We started the conversation talking about one federal grant program, Operation Stone Garden. We resume our discussion with another federal grant, the High Intensity Drug Trafficking Areas Program, better known as HIDA. Well, it, it's a program that's been around again a long time, and it somehow has got intertwined in this debate about Stone Garden. It's completely detached from that. It's just, it's another one of these, I don't know where it came from type thing. Um, but what it's specifically designed to do is to, to interdict the, the, um, the drug traffickers, not the personal use folks and that sort of thing, but really be targeted toward major drug traffickers. Um, we're able to put people in the HIDA under this grant funding so that we're sure that we're exchanging information because the right hand really needs to know what the left hand is doing if you're going to interdict, interdict large drug traffickers. You can't have one person going out and doing one thing and somebody else going out and doing another thing completely devoid of intelligence sharing and resource sharing. Uh, no one entity can do it itself. You, you mentioned multiple entities, one hand talking to the other. What entities are involved and, and how does how does a deputy for Pima County work in that program? Well, we have our, our people embedded in, in Haida, and if this grant goes away, I'll have to lay off 10 people. Um, that's a terrible byproduct of this political argument. So what we're then privy to um, threat assessments from Haida that come down from a national level, boil down to a local level, so that we can know what the threat is out there. Because drug traffickers are entrepreneurs, make no mistake, and they have unlimited resources, unlimited energy to do this. So they're, they're constantly changing their methodology to bring drugs into this country. So we have to be nimble in that. We have to have the latest intelligence and our ability to interact with them. And this um, involves all the uh, law enforcement agencies in Southern Arizona are involved in one form or another to all get together and exchange that information, make sure that we're all on the same page and we're uh, rowing the boat in the same direction, so to speak, is absolutely vital to combating this threat. What kind of operations do those deputies take part in and what do the grants exactly pay for? Well, they pay for intelligence people, people embedded in, in Haida, and um, we'll be uh, with combination with our partners at CNA, the Counter Narcotics Alliance. We'll go out and, and try to take off these uh, these large scale traffickers um, that are coming into the United States and try to get in front of those. Now, people say, well, what's what's really the big deal? Well, if we interdict say 15 fentanyl pills. Um, or worse, these 15 fentanyl pills are actually disguised as Oxycontin. And an addict believes that he or she's getting a pill similar in the dose that they've always gotten. And they take it and they overdose. The collateral societal cost is, is pretty astronomical. You have EMS response, law enforcement response, Office of Medical Examiner. So there's a collateral damage done, not that, to mention the destruction of families and lives as part of this. So the interdiction effort is, is very important. Uh, that we're interdicting these um, large-scale traffickers. We've spent a lot of time talking about Stone Garden especially, but there's another federal issue that uh, the Sheriff's Office has gotten involved in, and that's the jail. And when we have people uh, who are being detained in the jail for committing a crime here, um, but they're in the country illegally, now we have an ICE officer sitting in the jail, but that's new. Why did you have an ICE officer come into the jail? 
Well, it's it's relatively new. They've been there for more than a year, so it's not really, really new. Um, the problem is, and, and this will be a little bit of a long narrative, and I apologize for that in advance, but the issue of ICE detainers is a very thorny issue for sheriffs all across the country. It's not just isolated to Pima County. Um, an ICE detainer is the federal government communicating to a sheriff that there is a prevailing federal public safety reason for the extension of detention of an individual. That being said, the ICE detainer provides no legal basis for a sheriff to extend that detention. It, it is not a formal warrant. It's an administrative warrant. So sheriffs are perplexed by what to do about that. I mean, the federal government is saying to us, hey, sheriff, there's a public safety reason to detain this person. And at the same time, it doesn't provide me any basis to do so, any legal basis. So what we previously did was when we knew we were going to uh, release somebody from the jail, uh, we knew that release process took about two hours. And we would contact ICE and say, do you still have a reason to detain this person? If so, we're about to release them. Come over and, and make your detention. Ninety-plus percent of the time, that was successful because ICE is locally um, very robust here. It was the 10 percent of the time that worried me. Uh, what if I was wrong? What if the person that slipped through that crack was a very dangerous person? Onbik's known to me based on the local charges, got out in the community and did harm. Did I want to be wrong? Um, and ICE approached us. We have a very good relationship with ICE, um, but within our lanes. My lane is very distinct from their lane. And they said, well, look, if you have some unused portion of the jail, and this is a cubicle with a desk and a chair and it. it's nothing elaborate it's a place we weren't using um, we would station somebody there so you could do a direct handoff 100 percent success rate in doing these handoffs um, subsequently we've looked at how many ice detainers there are it's less than four percent of the jail population at any time has an ice detainer um, over the last six months only 1.2 percent of the people that came into Pima County Jail went out with ICE. So this is not the scaled problem that some would lead you to believe. And it's also helped me better caption the nature of that problem. So I'm willing to revisit that. I understand there's a lot of community angst over that. I am an elected official and I'm responsible to be um, receptive to the concerns of the community. So I'm willing to revisit that, but I'm not under threat of, oh, we're going to take your $1.3 million away unless you do X. I can't acquiesce to that because, again, it would be political as opposed to public policy. As a matter of public policy, I think there may be reason to revisit that. When you say you're willing to revisit it, are you willing to revisit it, walk away if someone makes a compelling argument and go back to the old system or revisit it, tweak it or something in between? Well, I, I won't revisit it based on um, political pressure. I'm not going to do that because I, I think you should expect higher from your sheriff than that. Um, because then what, what other political wins would I, I bend to that might jeopardize public safety? However, as a matter of public policy, I'd revisit it based on the fact that we now know better who's in there uh, on ICE detainers and that it is a very low-frequency activity um, and that maybe jointly it's not a good use of ice time to be there in the first place because it's an infrequent occurrence and secondarily maybe we can beef up the success rate of the old approach and and maybe there's a win-win here what i don't like is a win-win at a, at a knife point i'm not going to do that i'm sorry i don't mean to be obstinate but that's just the nature of business here we started this conversation talking about a a, a fine point of the budget we've talked a lot about budget decisions Overall, is the department adequately funded? 
well, I don't think you would ever interview a sheriff who says, oh, I have way too much money. I'm, I'm, I'm floating in it. I, I don't know what to spend it on. Uh, we're doing pretty well. Our budget stayed stable this year. What I'd, I'd like to brag about, if I could, is that when I took office in January of 2017, our department was trending to be 6 or $7 million in the red. Uh, I promised uh, the people of this county that I would try to cut that deficit in half. Uh, we were successful in doing that in six months. We cut the deficit in half. And then I said moving forward what I would do is really take some business acumen to the sheriff's department and make hard decisions and then hopefully enjoy some savings that I would then leverage back to compensation increases for my personnel. Very happy to say that we did exactly that. We finished the fiscal year, um, the, my first full year in office, $5.3 in the black. Of that, we we allocated $4.7 million right back to the compensation of my people. So 88% of that savings went right back to my deputies, my corrections officers, my civilian staff. Um, I think the day of sheriffs, especially in large um, major county sheriff's departments, not being business people has come and gone. Um, if you look at the sheriff's department uh, as an entity, and if we were the widget factory, I am the CEO of one of the biggest businesses in Pima County. I employ 1,500 people. My budget's $152 million. We run 24-7, 365 in many remote locations. You mentioned 1,500 employees, rounded off. Do we have enough deputies and corrections officers, or do we need more? I think where we're really hurting is in corrections. It's very hard to recruit and retain people in our correction facility. Uh, the pay is not exceptionally good, and the work environment is very challenging. The other strain that all sheriffs have right now is the economy. Uh, unemployment is, is very low. People have choices. It's really a job seeker's market out there. And, and some of the societal pressures have made careers in law enforcement less attractive than they were in 1981 when I became a police officer. Um, so I think there are a lot of pressures on us to, to first get the right people in the door, but then to retain them in the in long term. There's changes to the pension system, which serve to kind of somewhat disincentivize long-term employment in law enforcement. So there are a lot of challenges, but it's not unique to Pima County. It's, it's across the board. All, the sh all sheriffs and chiefs that I know are saying the same thing. It's really hard right now to recruit and retain. We hear that from police departments locally and across the state and across the country that they're losing officers, deputies, uh, corrections officers to other agencies because of pay. Is that the big reason when it comes to retention that we're losing people in Pima County? Uh, it's, a, it's a myriad of things. I think it's a, it's a change, in generational change. Um, you know, I would have given up a dollar an hour for security. I think um, baby boomers are a lot that way. We're all about security and, and that. Well, millennials are more um, adept at experience. They, they're less about nesting in a place um, and more about the mobility. They're less about home ownership as they see that as an anchor to their mobility. So all these things that we used to prize um, as baby boomers is security, uh, stability, home ownership, a family, all those things that provided stability are not so much so with millennials. And that's the um, that's a recruiting pool that we have right now. So we've got to give these young people a better reason to be in law enforcement. And that might be increase in compensation, which allows them to do things outside of employment that they're more interested in doing, uh, providing them better um, job satisfaction. Um, I was satisfied that I got paid every other Friday. That was satisfaction to me, just make sure that I have benefits I can provide for my family and all those things that are very um, you know, baby boomer uh, values. Um, but we've got to appeal to this other group now. All right, Sheriff, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Uh, you can tell I have absolutely no passion for any of this, can't you? <laughs> Mark Napier is the Pima County Sheriff. And that's the buzz for this week. 
Our show was produced and edited by Zach Ziegler. Andrea Kelly is the news director, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.